The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all the Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Doesn't the sanctuary look so beautiful with uh, Christmas decorations? So we had a crew of people here on Thursday night to putting it all up, uh, all the bows and getting them all straight, placing the ornaments on our tree. And, and without the lights on, you can really see these chrismons just pop. You know, these uh, chrismons go back generations, decades, uh, and uh, um, are uh, full of religious symbolism to be sure, but also hold a special place in our hearts. As I was admiring the tree on Thursday night, I uh, was talking to Pastor Johnson, uh, and uh, he told me that uh, there was a time when we had not uh, one artificial tree, but we had two live trees. Uh, And uh, I thought that was really something to find two tall, long trees. And I I asked him, I kind of assumed that the trees were put up later, uh, but he told me, uh, no, he said they did it about the same time uh, back then with the live trees. I thought, that would have been a lot of work, a lot of water uh, to be dousing those trees with uh, for the entire month of December because I can tell you times when we've had a live tree, you know how much water it takes to keep that thing from dropping all its needles. Uh, Because once you cut a tree down, it's dead (laughs) and it's dying. 
and if you don't feed it with water, uh, by the time you get to Christmas, if you've cut it down in November, it's just going to be a brown shrub in the corner, not anything to look at. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the fact that uh, on the day after Christmas, you can go and, you know, see the neighborhoods decorated on their lawn with the dead trees sitting out on the curb uh, tells you that this is true. Uh, if you get your Christmas tree from uh, Christmas tree lot, uh, then uh, you, know, you just kind of see these uh, trees that have already been pre-cut. But if you go to a Christmas tree farm in the middle of January or February, uh, and you go to where all those trees were, what do you see? A field of stumps <laughs> where all these trees have been cut down uh, so that we can have our festive uh, uh, celebration of Christ's birth. The image of a felled tree, uh, of a stump, is one that Isaiah, our prophet uh, in our today's Old Testament reading, uses uh, to bring a, uh, a quite dramatic image to the minds of the people of Israel. Uh, he speaks of the line of David, of the tree, the family tree of David. And actually, he doesn't even use David's name. He uses the name of David's father, Jesse. And he says that, that this kingdom, this house of David, this family tree of David, of Jesse, there's going to come a time when it is felled, when it is cut down, and all that's going to be left is a stump. Now, I'll tell you, there's not much you can do with a stump. Uh, maybe you've read The Giving Tree. You could sit on it, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, you know, you go to that Christmas tree farm, they're going to be digging those out, burning them out, uh, making way for new trees. They're going to be planting new ones. They don't do anything with the old stumps, except for maybe burn them. And yet, Isaiah says there's something unique about this stump of Jesse. What looks like it is dead and destined for the fire, he says there is hope there. For he speaks of a shoot that unexpectedly comes out. Now, actually, if you've ever been walking through a, a woods and you see a stump of a tree that's been felled, you can see these little shoots that come out. So it's a, it's a lesson from nature. Uh, trees know how to regenerate, and they will do so. But what he's telling the people of Israel is that there is hope, even for them. Even when it seems like oh, all hope is lost, and this family tree of Jesse, the Davidic kingship line, has been cut off. There will be hope. In the course of time, that tree of Jesse was cut down to a stump. The people had so departed and led by their kings, had so departed from the word of the Lord that they uh, entered under God's judgment and God had the powers in Babylon come and cart away the royalty uh, and the craftsmen and the artisans. Basically, anybody above peasant status was carted off in exile to Babylon. As for the king, they took his sons out before him 
And they killed them one by one. And then they gouged out his eyes so that the last thing that he would see was the death of his sons, the death of his line. This was the Babylonians' way of crushing hope in the people of Israel. And yet, this people of Israel had hope. Through that prophet Isaiah, a promise that a shoot would rise up out of that stump, that the kingship would be restored, and that the kingdom itself would be restored. See, when they came and crushed the kingdom of Judah, they destroyed the temple where the people had worshipped God. They leveled the city, burned it to the ground, uh, tore down its walls, uh, and then they took off the people. But in time, uh, in the passing of a generation, Isaiah would prophesy the return of that people from exile back to Jerusalem. And return they did. Isaiah speaks of preparing a highway in the desert, of mountains being made low, and of uh, valleys being raised up so that there would be a wide path, level, a plain on which the people could make their triumphant return in joy due to God's mercy back to the city. And they returned and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt the walls and they rebuilt the city and the only thing they didn't rebuild was the kingdom, the kingship. They waited for a king, the promised king, this shoot from out of the stump And they waited, and they waited. 400 long years they waited. That's a long time for us. Maybe you can put it into perspective by thinking about the founding of Jamestown, the first English-speaking settlement uh, on this continent. Uh, Permanent, Roanoke failed. 400 years a long time that they waited. And then, then we have our gospel text, which begins with these words, In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea. In those days is a reference to what came before it in chapters 1 and 2, namely, the birth of Jesus, the Savior, The King, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David, our Savior, born, lived among us, dwelt among us. It is in those days, albeit some 30 years later, that John the Baptist bursts onto the scene with a call to repentance. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The thing that you have long awaited, the restoration of the Davidic kingship, it has come. The kingdom is at hand. And how shall we prepare? How shall we celebrate? By repenting. 
It was so evident to the people of Israel that things were not right, that everything perhaps seemed wrong about them. God had promised a restoration, and yet 400 years had passed, and they were not under the authority of a Jewish king, of a king of Israel, but they were under the authority of the boot of the Roman Empire. They waited and waited. They saw the wickedness, the sin that was so evident in their society, and they looked within... And they saw that left to their own devices, they would be doing the same thing. In fact, that they were themselves, even in that time, complicit with and a cause of the pain, the sin that was ruining their lives and the lives of their neighbors. And so it was that when they heard this call to repentance, they came in droves. They came from Jerusalem and all, uh, all of Judea and all the region along the Jordan, that they may be baptized by John, confessing their sins. Repentance is about recognizing your sin. It's about turning around. Really, that's what the word uh, repent means, is to turn around, to make an about face, to Revert to the thing that you were to be oriented in the first place. God and his word. To have that be your focus, your motivation, your life, your center. And the people hearing John's call to repentance recognized that they needed to do just that. Repent. And they confessed their sins and they trusted that in the baptism God was forgiving them, cleansing them of their sins. But not everybody approached baptism in that same way. When we hear John preach, uh, we can hear him as a fairly harsh preacher. First, he gives this word of repent. And while we may uh, see a need to repent in our lives, it's still not easy to hear that. I mean, we'll admit we're sinners, but uh, let's not get too specific. <laughs> let's just admit it in a, in a general way. Ah, uh, when the preacher starts getting specific, that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. So it was for these hearers of John. <laughs> but how much more so for those who came to be baptized but had no intention in their heart of turning around, of really repenting. When he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. These are harsh words. Uh, viper, of course, is a snake, and what is the snake a symbol of throughout the scriptures? A snake, a serpent, the devil, the evil one, Satan. 
He's basically saying to these religious leaders of Jerusalem and Judea uh, and the Jordan, you children of Satan, who warned you to come? He says to them, this wrath, this wrath of God is coming upon those who do not truly repent. And he says to them, bear fruit worthy of repentance. We can hear that as John saying, you know, do good things and add that on top of your repentance. But that is to mishear him. See, repentance is that turning around, that turning from our sin, confessing it, and then turning to to God in faith, trusting in him. And that faith bears good works. In fact, there is no good work apart from faith. I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, there can be unbelieving people who do good things for their neighbors, right? As far as we're concerned, looking at somebody feeding you know, the homeless or operating on somebody in the emergency room uh, or you know, taking out the neighbor's trash, whatever it might be, uh, you, know, uh, you, you don't have to be a Christian to do these things. And they are good works as far as we're concerned. Uh, we don't particularly care about the religious devotion of the people who do these things as far as, uh, as, far as our neighborliness is concerned. But in God's eyes, the only good work is the good work that proceeds from faith. Uh, that is the only uh, thing that, uh, that counts at the end of the day is faith. Uh, and if you are trying to repent without believing, uh, then you're only half doing the job. You are not entering into humility, not admitting the true nature uh, of your situation. And of course we do this. We sometimes think that, that we're doing all right. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a little bit of Jesus, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm able to do stuff on my own, thank you very much. And when we have that approach to our religious life or our salvation, we are fooling ourselves. For the uh, people who came to him, these Pharisees and Sadducees, apparently they thought that their bloodline, their ancestral uh, uh, tree, was something that they could take some pride in. But he says to them, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. In fact, St. Paul will go on to say in, in his epistles that this is exactly what God does in grafting in Gentiles, people who do not have a genealogy that traces back to Abraham, but these Gentiles, non-Jewish people, when they believe in Jesus, that they become children of Abraham by faith. That's precisely what we heard about in our reading from Romans today. 
this wonderful good news that uh, you don't have to be born into the right family to be a recipient of God's mercy and grace. By the gift of holy baptism, you can be a child or you can be well advanced in years. You can be a man or a woman. You can be somebody who has a full bank account or somebody who is quite low in a socioeconomic status. You can be of any people group in the world and baptism is for you. That's because Jesus is for you. The remarkable thing is that this promised son of David came not to be king of Israel only, but to be king of all people. King of the whole world. And when he was coronated with a crown of thorns, and when he was on his throne, a wooden cross, lifted up, he drew all peoples to himself. Jesus died for all. And so, indeed, God is able to bring those who are not children of Abraham into Abraham's family. But he issues this warning, John does. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He warns those who come to him, that there is only so much time. There it will come a day when the one who is greater than he will come. And when he comes, he comes to bring good news to those who have longed for him. But for those who have not believed It is a day of judgment. And he says, you don't know when that day is coming, but it will come soon. He says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. We sometimes think that John is a harsh preacher and that by comparison, Jesus is so much more meek and mild. But to hear John speak of Jesus, it is not so. He speaks of one who is more powerful than I. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will gather into his barn the wheat, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So which are you? Which am I? That is what John would have us ask. Do we have to look forward to a baptism by the Holy Spirit or a baptism by fire? There's an old story about a thief who broke into a house, snuck in the window, was quietly going about in the living room, and uh, he heard a voice say to him, call to him out of the darkness, Jesus is going to get you! 
paused, stopped in his tracks. Oh, I'm just hearing things. He keeps going around looking for things to steal. And again, out of the darkness, he hears, Jesus is going to get you. He thought, I'm definitely not hearing things. What is going on? Then he looks and he discovers that there is a parrot in a cage there in the room. He says, oh, it's just a parrot. Just squawking about stuff. Must belong to a a religious nutcase. And he goes around and he continues looking for stuff to steal. Till suddenly the lights come on and there in the doorway stands the owner of the house with his dog next to him and he says, Jesus, go get him. (laughs) That is not how we want to be got by Jesus. We don't want to be the objects of Jesus' wrath and judgment. But Jesus is coming to judge. Uh, Read again uh, from our Isaiah text this morning and you'll hear that this promised King who is coming comes, yes, to speak good news to the poor, but He does not have good words to speak to those who are the oppressors. He will rule with an iron scepter. He will crush His enemies under His feet. To use John's language, He will cut down these trees that do not bear good fruit and throw them into the fire like chaff. If your life is not bearing the fruit of repentance, is not bearing the fruit of faith in Christ, heed John's warning and repent. But there is reason for us to hope. We don't want to be got like the thief in that story. We want to be got by Jesus in a different way. More along the lines of two friends who are up on a roof tacking in their Christmas lights when one of them slips and falls and is hanging desperately, clinging to the gutter. And the friend comes along and puts his arms underneath and holds him and says, I've got you. I've got you. That is Jesus for you. Jesus, who stretched out his arms on the cross, holds you in the palm of his hand and he says, I've got you. It's all right. I've got you. He is our hope. He is our King. And so we can in faith and in humility confess our sins, turn from our wickedness, from our foolishness, and live lives of gratitude for Him. Lives marked by good works, some earthly use to our neighbors, lives marked by giving glory to God, our coming King, who holds us. His word to you this morning, I've got you. Trust in me.
In the name of Jesus, amen.